0: All right, good, good, good. All right, uh, we're going to go right into the word of God. I've got a word for you here today. Uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 17 through 22. Matthew chapter 10, verses 17 through 22. I'm reading from the New King James Version. This is what it says Now, as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him, and asked him, Good teacher. What shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus looked at him and loved him and said, One thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. But he was sad at his word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would speak to us mightily by the power of your word today, by the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray that your word would come and give us life. Lord, the scripture says the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And Holy Spirit, we invite you today to come and give us life. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to talk to you this morning about discipleship. Discipleship is what the Christian faith is all about. Jesus did not come to call church members to himself. He came to call disciples. He did not come for church attenders. He did not come to get people to sign up for ministries. He didn't come for fans uh, to build a following or a fan club. But he, at the end of the day, he came for disciples. Uh, Jesus actually, in some context, turned people away and sent people away uh, who were simply there to kind of freeload off of him. They were there, like in John chapter 6, when he fed the 5,000. They were hungry, he fed the 5,000, he got up in the middle of the night, got on the boat and left while they were all sleeping. And when they saw that his boat was leaving in the morning, they ran all the way around the Sea of Galilee and followed him to the other side. And when they got to the other side, they said, teacher, where did you go? And he said, assuredly, I say to you, you followed me not because you saw signs, but because you ate bread. Jesus had just taken five loaves and three fish and used it to feed a great multitude of people. He says, you came for more bread. You're following me because you were hungry and you ate bread and you want me to give you some more bread. You followed me because you were sick and I healed you, and you want me to give you some more healing you 're following me for the benefits you 're not following me because you 've seen the signs. The bread was a sign it pointed to something greater, it pointed to something higher, it pointed to something more 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 important more more important. The sign that he does the signs point to the reality of who he is. The sign that is when he does a miracle, it points to the reality of who he is so that we can believe in who he is. But Jesus says, you don't even believe in who I am. You just followed me because you want more bread. You just followed me because you want more blessing. You just followed me because you want more breakthrough in your life. Jesus is looking for disciples. And the first thing he did when he began his ministry was he called Disciples. He walked down to the Sea of Galilee where there were two brothers that were mending their nets. They had just got done fishing all night and he simply gave them a simple invitation. Come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And they left their nets and they came and followed him. And then there were two more disciples a little bit further down the Sea of Galilee. And he stopped and said, come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And they were in the boat with their father and they left the boat and their father and they followed Jesus. And so a a disciple is not someone whose life is perfect, not someone who is able to fix everything in their life, but simply someone who makes the decision. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus wherever He goes. Now, we read the Gospels, we learn a lot about discipleship. We learn a lot about the importance of discipleship. There were 12 disciples that Jesus called individually, explicitly, called them by their names and said, come and follow me. But there were 120 others that simply followed Jesus without an invitation, and all of them are called disciples. The 12 was his inner core, but the 120 were disciples as well. You know, there are many people we find in the body of Christ who are like the 12. They say, how did you find, how did you find Jesus? How did you come to faith in Jesus? And they'll say, I was visited by an angel in the night or I had some kind of visitation. I'll never forget. I've heard stories like that that just blow me away. I talked to a friend of mine who was a missionary in Indonesia, and I asked him, how did you come to faith in Christ? And he said, I was an atheist. I was not only an atheist, but I was an evangelistic atheist. He said, I used to participate in in debates in which I would convince many Christians to turn away from their faith in Christ. I turned Christians into atheists. I ate Christians for lunch. That's what I did for a living. That was my full-time job, and I loved it. He said, but all of a sudden, one night, I woke up in the middle of the night and my room was filled with hatred. And he said, I didn't even know who I was hating or why I was hating. I just knew that my room was filled with hatred. He said, but that destroyed my metaphysic and my worldview because I didn't believe in the existence of evil. But it was so strong in the room, I thought this has to be evil. And he said, then I thought to myself, if evil is real, then God must be real, too. And so I closed my eyes and I said, Jesus, save me. And he said, the moment I cried out, Jesus, save me, the room was filled with light. He said, I didn't even turn on the light, but the room was filled with light. And all of a sudden I had a revelation of Jesus Christ. And he said, when I surrendered my life to Jesus that night, I told him, Jesus, I spent the first part of my life destroying people who believed in you. I'm going to spend the rest of my life building people up who believe in you. He says, I owe I owe Jesus a lot of souls because I took a lot of souls out of his house. I want to bring a lot of souls into his house. That's powerful when somebody has a powerful testimony like that. I have a friend in, in Southern California, and he was telling me about his father who was not a believer in Jesus Christ. And he said uh, he had a, his mother had a dream that his father was in a car, and the car was lifted up off the earth and dropped to the ground, and his father fell out of the car dead. And in the dream, his mother ran to his father and laid her hand on his chest and commanded him to live, and he came back to life. And then she woke up from the dream, and, and he was in school a few weeks later. He was 16 or 17 years old. And somebody came into his classroom and said, uh, you need to go to the hospital right now. And when he came to the hospital, his father had had a major stroke and was in a major coma. And they told him and his mother, you need to prepare yourselves because he's not going to make it through this coma. And he looked at the doctor and said, no way my father's going to die. He doesn't know Jesus yet. He said, "The Lord promised me that my father will know Jesus before he dies, and he believed, and sure enough, his father recovered from the coma but never regained the, the full use of his body. His father recovered from the coma, but he still did not have the use of his body and he couldn't walk well and and uh, and he couldn't get around well and and uh, and uh, he couldn't work anymore and he became depressed and and this friend of mine said, I thought my father would receive Jesus because Jesus saved his life, but he didn't receive Jesus he was just depressed and feeling all he did was feel like his life had been taken away from him and uh, he was distraught and depressed and he said several years went by and then all of a sudden one day I was sitting in my room and my father walked in and he said I just surrendered my life to Jesus Christ and I said to my dad how did that happen what happened and he said I never told you this but from the moment I woke up from my coma I've seen these like these lights, they follow me like like little lightning bugs. They torment me and they follow me everywhere. It's like these demons that follow me wherever I go and I can't sleep at night because they buzz around my face all night long and I haven't been able to rest. I haven't been able to sleep. I've been tormented for years ever since I came out of the coma. He said, but last night I was laying in my bed and these things were buzzing in my face and they were tormenting me and all of a sudden a light shone at the door of of, of my bedroom. And he said, when I looked at the door, there was a gleam." Man, a shining man, a brilliant man standing at the door. And he looked at those, those, those little lights, those little bugs, and he just said, He just and they left. He said, as soon as he did that, they left. And then he looked at me and said, From now on, I'm going to be with you. And I said, Who are you? And he said, I am Jesus Christ. And then he vanished. Wow. That's crazy, right? Like that's powerful. Wouldn't it be awesome to have an invitation to follow Jesus like that? Wouldn't it be awesome to have an experience like that? The individuals who have experiences like that, where it's like Jesus takes the time to appear to them. I got to tell you one more story like that before I go on. Sorry, but I have a friend named Carl Hargestam who ministers in third world countries, but specifically in Ethiopia. And God told him to rent a helicopter one day and take the helicopter up to this region in Ethiopia where no missionary had ever gone, and and matter of fact, no foreigner had ever gone, no white person had ever entered that region, and matter. Matter of fact, this tribe was so violent and so vicious that anytime any stranger would show up in their in their territory, they would immediately kill that stranger in let's just say a very gory and you don't want to die in this way manner. Okay? Uh, they would they would uh, th- yeah they would cut you and they would cut you not uh, they would kill you. Okay, it was really bad. And the Lord spoke to them and said, rent a helicopter and go to that tribe. And uh, so he rented a helicopter and, and he took a translator and, and they said, where are we going? He said, we're going up to that tribe. And they were like, no, 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 we're not going to that tribe. They kill everybody up there. He says, no, the Lord told me to go to that tribe. And so they flew up there. And when they landed, he got out of the helicopter and the whole tribe came around the helicopter. And he stood on a rock and his translator stood next to him. His translator was so scared, he peed on himself. And he starts preaching the gospel to this group of people. And all of a sudden, maybe 10 minutes into his speech, this old man stands up and says, tell us about Jesus Christ. And he says to the old man, how do you know who Jesus Christ is? Has a missionary come through here before? How do you know who Jesus Christ is? And he said, three days ago, a shiny man appeared to me. And said, in three days, a white man will fly down out of the sky and he will tell you the way to be saved. And I said to the shiny man, Who are you? And he said, I am Jesus Christ. And then he disappeared. That's crazy, right? Like, does that does that I mean, like, say amen, say something, give me some feedback. <laughs> don't don't look at me in that tone of voice. <laughs> right? Like that's crazy, like wow. I mean, if that doesn't get you mad, that's crazy. Like that Jesus would appear. But you know, there's a small percentage of people that get that kind of visitation from Jesus Christ. A small percentage, a small, small percentage. But don't think that just because Jesus has not appeared to you at the door of your room, that you are less of a disciple than anybody else. Like, don't think that just because he hasn't walked up to your boat on the Sea of Galilee and called you by your name and invited you to come follow him. Don't think that just because you haven't seen heaven open up and six angels appear in rapid succession and and speak to you. Don't think that just because you haven't seen a scroll open up or an angel take you by the back of the hair and hold you between her. Like, you don't have to have all of that. A small number of people get that kind of stuff. But there was another group of people, 120 others, which was 10 times the number of disciples that Jesus actually called by name. Who said, I'm going to follow him because I see who he is. I'm going to follow him because I believe who he is. And I'm going to follow him because I know that he has the words of eternal life. You know in that passage of scripture in John 6, uh Jesus sees the multitude and they follow him all the way around the the Sea of Tiberias, the Sea of uh, Galilee and he says to them they said where did you go and he said assuredly you f- you followed me not because you saw signs but because you ate bread and were full and then he says to them unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood you can have no part of me. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood You can have no part of me. And the people were like, all right, now he's talking about cannibalism. Like this is some crazy stuff. And the way they said it was, this is a hard saying who can accept it. This is a hard saying. That's what it says. But what they were really saying is this boy is tripping like this. This puppy done lost his mind. And they, and they left and he's like, don't let it hit you where the Lord split you. (laughs) And then he looked at the 12 disciples and said, do you guys want to go too? you're welcome to go. And they say, Where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Where are we going to go? Literally, what they were saying is we will follow you even beyond our own understanding. We don't have to understand where you're leading us in order to follow you. We will follow you beyond the boundaries of our own understanding. You see, in our adolescence, we need I need an understanding. So many times I would tell my mom when I was a kid, well, I don't get that. I don't know why I should have to do that. She'd say, boy, because I said so. Because if you don't do it, let me give you some understanding. If you don't do it, I will slap you so hard, you will have six visions, five dreams, and four revelations. She told me, she used to tell me, said, boy, I will slap the black off of you. I used to be a lot darker when I was younger. <laughs> it worked. And that was, that was how my mom brought us to understanding. you know. So, but the Lord often just does not, he doesn't answer those questions. He simply wanted to know, are you willing to follow me beyond the boundaries of your understanding? Do you guys want to go to? And Peter says, where would we go? Translation, we don't understand what you're talking about either. What you said is just as sickening to us. Eat your flesh and drink your blood. We think you're tripping too. But where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Where would we go You have the words of eternal life. Translation, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. I've begun to reflect upon certain circumstances in my life. I remember about a year and a half ago, I was going through a a difficult situation in my life. And I remember getting on my knees before the Lord saying, Lord, somehow I need this. Somehow I need this. I don't understand why I need this, but somehow I need to walk this path. And it took a year and a half. I was just driving to church this morning, and all of a sudden the Lord showed me why it is I needed that trial in that season. Often we don't wait around for understanding. And so the disciple is one who follows Jesus regardless. The disciple is one who's made the decision, Jesus is my Lord. I don't have to understand why. I simply have to understand what it is he's asking me to do. Now, a lot of people came to Jesus for the wrong reasons. A lot of people came to Jesus and they looked as if they were disciples. They wanted to present themselves as disciples. They wanted to talk as if they were disciples. They they talked the talk and they walked the walk, but they did not live the life. They had the outer shell of a disciple, but they did not have the inner heart of a disciple. And Jesus had very little patience for those individuals. One of them was a Canaanite woman who called him... Who came and fell at his feet and said, oh, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, son of David. She wasn't even an Israelite. She had nothing to do with the covenant. Calling him son of David was so pretentious of her, pretending that she was in the covenant when she wasn't in the covenant. Oh, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he says to her, it's not right for me to take the food that belongs to the children and throw it to the dogs. Dang, Jesus. He called that woman a dog. That's like la da 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 da. That's like that's like a gangster moment for Jesus, you know? <laughs> it was like a snoop dog. I mean, it's like, man, Jesus, that was thug life. <laughs> Jesus, thug life. But why did he do like why did he come at her so hard like that? And then she responds, Lord, even the dogs eat the scraps that come from the master's table. Now all of a sudden she gets real with Jesus and she's like, All right, you got me. All right. I came here pretending I was somebody I'm not. OK, I came here like talking Christianese to you, thinking that if I use the right language and if I use the right uh, co- a co- collection of words that somehow I'll get something from you. And she said, you know, you're right. Even, but 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 can you hook me up anyway? <laughs> like, all right, I'm not in the co- Like, I don't even know you. OK, like, but can you help a, help a sister out anyway? Like even the dogs eat the scraps from the master's table. And Jesus said, dang, she got faith. You got what you asked for and healed her daughter. Like that's great. Like when people got real with Jesus, then Jesus would respond. Now, this man, they call him the rich young ruler. Jesus is walking down the road with his 12 disciples. And this rich young ruler is probably across the road with his posse going in the opposite direction. They don't say posse anymore. Sorry, I'm, I'm a child of the 90s. We said posse back. What do they say now? Your your squad. He was, he was with his squad. Right. And uh, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and he's like, hold up, hold up. There go Jesus. I'll be right back. And he runs across the street and he runs over to Jesus. And the scripture said he ran up to Jesus and fell on his knees before him. He's presenting himself in a posture of submission, respect, honor, and penitence. He runs to Jesus and falls on his knees and says, Good teacher! He calls him good teacher. Good tov rabbi. You must understand that the word good in our culture does not mean the same thing as the word good meant in ancient Israel. When you say something's good in our culture, it means it's I. You know, there's like, good... Better, best, and bomb, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, good is like, when you say it's good, that means it's all right. <laughs> you know what I mean? But in ancient Israel, good was the best compliment you could give to anything. Right. right. Like if somebody said, how's the food? And you went, it's good. They were like, dang, <laughs> you know? It's like, it's good. Oh, he said it's good. You know? I mean, what did God say when he created the heavens and the earth? He said, it is good. He didn't say it's all right. <laughs> good was a superlative it was the highest quantity it was the highest level the highest quantity the highest compliment that you could give to anything was to say it's good this man calls jesus good rabbi not just rabbi not just teacher but good rabbi he must really believe in jesus right he's in a position of submission he lifts his hands during the songs He's, and you, could, you, could, you really know when somebody loves Jesus, when they don't just sing the songs, but they do this while they sing the songs. If you close your eyes and shake your head, that means you really love Jesus. And then, you know, if, you, if your hands are, you know, from shoulder length or below, that means you kind of love Jesus. <laughs> But if once you get above the shoulders, that's like you really love Jesus. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, I mean, this dude was in the right position and he was saying the right words. Good teacher. And then he asked him this question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? He's saying the right things. He's in the right position. And he's talking to the right person. If you want to know about eternal life, you should talk to the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you want to know what it, what it takes to inherit eternal life, Jesus is the right man to talk to. And if you approach Jesus, yeah, kneeling before him is a good thing to do. And calling him good teacher is a good step to take. It seems like we've got a model disciple right here, right? And Jesus says to him, why do you call me good? Which... It's like he changes channels on him. It's like, you ever give somebody a compliment and they're like, no, nah, no, nah, don't say that to me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's like throwing cold water in somebody's face. They're like, you know, Mickey, you did an awesome job in worship. He's like, why do you call me awesome? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like uh, uh-uh. no, I don't, mm. no, no, no. He goes, there's no one good but God. That's what Jesus says to the man. Why do you call me good? There's no one good but God. Only, there's only one who's good and that's God alone. Why does Jesus change channels on the man like that? He's actually started the test. The moment Jesus begins to respond, he's actually testing the man's heart. He's literally saying to the man, I'm not impressed by your outward position. I'm not impressed by your words. I'm not impressed by the fact that you're kneeling on your knees. Matter of fact, I did a study of all the people that knelt before Jesus throughout the Gospels. And most of the times, with a couple of exceptions, most of the times it wasn't a good thing. Like, most of the times their hearts weren't in the right place. Most of the people, not all the people, but a lot of the people who knelt before Jesus, were not. their hearts were not in the right place when they knelt before Jesus. That's very, very interesting. You're in the right position. You're saying the right words. But now I'm going to test What's going on in your heart? Why do you call me good? There's no one good but God alone. Translation, are you sure you want to call me good? Because if you call me good, you got to call me God. Are you calling me good because you have identified who I am? Are you calling me good because you know who I am because you believe in me? Are you calling me good because if you're calling me good because you know who I am and because you believe in me, then you're asking me about eternal life because you believe that I am the author of it. Do you see that? I'm trying to get to your heart. Are you calling me good because you believe me to be good? Because you believe me to be God? Or are you calling me good simply because you want to be popular? Because you want to have standing? Because you want to think highly about yourself? Because you're looking for some affirmation from someone with authority? It all comes down to what you believe about me. Why do you call me good? There's no one good but God alone. This is the litmus test. Jesus is saying you can say all the right things and you can get in all the right positions. But underneath it, what do you believe about me? Do you believe I'm God? Do you believe I'm the son of God? Or do you just believe I'm a good teacher? A good example? And then Jesus, before the man could answer... Changes channels again and goes to the standard answer that the man is actually looking for. Jesus says, you know the commandments. Don't kill. You know, have you killed anybody lately? Nope. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. Honor your father and your mother. Right? You know those commandments, right? And the man says, all of these I have kept from my youth. You ain't doing nothing but lying. (laughs) You talking about all of these I have kept from my youth. Literally, the man is saying, I have never broken one of the commandments of God. I am perfectly righteous all the days of my life. Come on. You know what the guy just did? What he just did was he excused himself. He forgave himself. For the sins of his past by claiming to be perfectly righteous before God, by claiming to be a complete commandment keeper, one who has never broken a commandment, one who has never transgressed one. Literally, he's literally saying, all of these I've kept from my youth. I've never had an adulterous thought. Never told even a white lie. Never told my mommy that I was going to sleep when in reality I was playing with her iPhone. (laughs) <laughs> right i don 't know the other day we found yeah i 'm gonna tell my daughter <laughs> the other night, my wife goes, "Alethia, go read you got she 's got to read you know twenty minutes a night, and so she goes in the room and she pulls out her book, and I come in and I, I peek in the room and she sees me peek in, and she throws down her phone and grabs the book. <laughs> And I said, uh-oh, somebody's on her phone when she's supposed to be reading. She goes, no, I was just looking at the time. I just wanted to see how much time had gone by. I thought, you little sneaky. And so then a few minutes later, mommy walks in the room. And she had the book propped up on the bed and the phone on YouTube kids <laughs> inside the book. And she saw mommy throws down the phone and grabs the book. <laughs> and that's it. That's it. You know, you don't want to mess with mommy. You know, daughters, you know, if that that was daddy, you know, daddy would be like, okay, listen, baby girl, that's that's probably not cool. You 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 know what I mean? But don't tell mommy you did that. But that's, you know, let me have the phone. I'll give it back. But not mommy. She's like, this, are you kidding me? You just lied to mommy. You just lied to daddy. And all of a sudden the waterworks come. "Ah!" It turned into like an hour long discussion. and, And, you know, we had to deal with that. Mommy will, you know, mommy will put the smack down, you know. But, uh, come on. Kids, they be lying. Like, you can't tell me you grew up and never lied. Like, I mean, you know, if you want proof that we were born into sin, just look at kids. (laughs) You look at little kids, that's a little sinner running around. (laughs) No, on the real, though, have you ever known a kid that was not just deceptive naturally? (laughs) Like, just Look for an opportunity to destroy something. My, my little brother has a little one-year-old son. And um, yesterday we were at, at, at one of my cousins' houses for my aunt's 84th birthday. And this little, little one-year-old kid, one by one, would take a ball, soccer ball, baseball, make sure nobody was looking, he run to the fence and throw it over the fence. <laughs> And his dad would say, hey, Maxwell, no, 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 Maxwell, stop that. And he would just smile. And then a few minutes later, football, (laughs) and threw it over the fence. Disobedient, that's a little sinner. (laughs) All these you have kept since your youth? You know what he just did? He just forgave himself. He forgave himself of all of his sins. Now, I know in our culture, we have this thing where we say, you need to forgive yourself. And in actuality, yes, that's a good thing. You need to forgive yourself, but there's one stipulation. You need to forgive yourself of the things that God has forgiven you of. You need to forgive yourself of the things that you have confessed to God and He has forgiven you of. It means that you do not have the right to hold against yourself that which Jesus has already covered with His blood. If Jesus has forgiven it, you cannot hold on to it. If Jesus has washed it away, but, but, but... The scripture says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. You cannot skip the step of confessing your sin to God. You cannot skip the step of repentance. You cannot forgive yourself of that which you have not asked God to forgive you of. You cannot absolve yourself of that which you have not committed to God. You cannot, you can't simply just say, well, I, I just forgive myself. I just, that's what this man did. I've kept all these from my youth. And translation, and any that I haven't kept, I have forgiven myself of. And I have washed myself. And I have absolved myself. And Jesus, the scripture says, looked at him and loved him. Jesus looked at this man, even though he's lying to Jesus' face. Jesus knew exactly what the man was there for. I see. And notice that in his second response, in his first first question to Jesus, he says, good teacher. And Jesus says, why do you call me good? But in his second response, he says, teacher. He takes away the good. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus, why do you call me good? There's no one good but God alone. You know the commandments. Don't steal, don't kill, don't commit adultery, all of that. Teacher, all of these I have kept since my youth. Notice he takes away the good, meaning he failed the first test. Jesus says, why do you call me good? There's no one good but God alone. And the the man's response is, wow. His response should have been, to call you good, I need to call you God. That should have been a revelation to the man of who Jesus was. Notice that Jesus never told anybody that he was the son of God, but he was actually offering that revelation to this man, and the guy totally missed it. Instead, he responded, Oh, then I ain't going to call you good no more. You're just a teacher. And when he responds, teacher, all of these I've kept since my, my youth, he makes it clear to Jesus that his purpose in coming to Jesus was not to actually get eternal life from Jesus, but simply to get affirmation from someone who has standing in the community. All I want is for a religious leader to congratulate me on my obedience to God. All I want is for a religious leader to look at my life and say, you know what? You've done such a good job. You have done such a good job of living by your own strength and your own wisdom and your own power. And in your own strength, you have obeyed God so well. Congratulations. You've kept the commandments. You're worthy of eternal life. Matter of fact, God owes you eternal life if he doesn't give you eternal life. God will be doing wrong. All these I've kept. I've been a commandment keeper. And I'm not doubting that the guy had done a great job of keeping the commandments. Even if he was 99.9% in obedience to the commandments, that's 0.1% is there. According to Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. Everyone has sinned. There's not a single one of us that's never broken the commandments. All of us have sinned and fallen short. Of the glory of God. But Jesus says, alright, you've got your obedience down. But one thing you still lack. You've got obedience down. But one thing you still lack. What is it that he lacks? He says, you've got obedience. You've got coming to church. You've got tithing. You've got worshiping. You've got serving a ministry. You go to CG, but one thing you still lack. What is it you still lack? You signed up for love week and you went and you fed the homeless. That's great. But one thing you still lack. What is it that you still lack? He says, one thing you still lack. Go and sell all you have and give the money to the poor. And then come, take up the cross and follow me. And in between these two sets of instructions, he says, go, sell, give. And then he says, come, take, follow. And in between these two sets of instructions is a promise, and you'll have riches in heaven. Go, sell, give, and you'll have riches in heaven. Come, take, follow. The one thing you still lack is surrender. You've got obedience But you lack surrender. You look at your life and you can't find one of the commandments that you're disobeying. You say, let's see, I don't lie. I don't steal. I don't kill. I don't bear false witness against my neighbor. I don't commit adultery. I don't dishonor my parents. I can't find any of the commandments that I'm breaking. Actually, I'm doing pretty good in the obedience department. But Jesus says, but one thing you still lack. Surrender. Surrender. Surrender transcends obedience. Matter of fact, obedience without surrender is the essence of empty religion. The religious people of Jesus' day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law, they all were very obedient. Matter of fact, they studied the law day and night to make sure they had not disobeyed it. They were so afraid of disobeying a law that they created laws on top of the laws and they kept not only the laws, but the laws on top of the laws. One of the law, one of the Levitical laws said, do not baby, do not boil a baby calf in its mother's milk. You cannot take the milk of a a mother calf. And then take the baby cap and boil it in its mother's milk. They were so afraid of breaking that that they created another law on top of that that said, don't eat milk products and meat products in the same meal. And then there were some that even said, don't cook milk products and meat products in the same pot you create laws on top of laws on top of laws on top of laws. Why? Because our number one concern is obedience. But Jesus says obedience is not enough. Obedience without surrender is the essence of empty religion. Obedience without, without surrender makes us religious. But it doesn't bring us into the eternal kind of life that Jesus died for us to live. One thing you still lack, Jesus says, go, sell, and give. Go, and sell all you have. Why does Jesus say sell all you have? Why doesn't he just say go give it away to the goodwill? Like why couldn't he just give away his TV and his car? Why do you have to sell it first? Because when you sell everything you have, you come to grips with its complete value. Jesus wanted, to look, wanted this man to look at the total value of every component of his life and then recognize that what Jesus was inviting him to do, come, take, and follow. That there was greater value in taking up the cross and following Jesus than there was in possessing all this stuff. The only way the man could have understood that is if he could have recognized who Jesus was. If you recognize me as God, then you'll understand the grace in my invitation to forsake all and come and follow me. Now I got to tell you the truth for years. I was afraid of this passage of scripture, especially growing up. You know, I was scared to death. You know, I grew up in a church where every sermon was about surrender and God was always trying to take something from you. (laughs) Like no matter what you had up. See, you like it up, give it up. (laughs) Like God's goal is to take away from you everything that you like. Anything you liked was idolatry. It's like, I see you playing that video game. You got a smile on your face. You must really like that video game. Surrender to God. Do you love it more than Jesus? That's it. Take it. Give it to God. Give it away. I was, I was even scared when I was growing up, honestly. I, I never even told my wife this, but I was scared to death growing up that the Lord would not let me be married because I might like it too much. And if I did like it too much, that he would take my wife away from me. Now, what kind of spirit of fear is that? Right. Like that's the devil. The the Bible says he gives us all things freely to enjoy. Can I say to you that it's not wrong to enjoy the blessings that God gives you? But however, I I really struggled when I got to this rich young ruler because Jesus, I mean, you know, obedience is 10 percent. Tithing. He didn't have to tell him to sell everything. And when I read that, I'm like, oh man, I used to read that and go, does God want everybody to sell everything and give everything to the poor? I mean, he says literally, sell all that you have. That's what he required this man to do. How do we apply that to our lives? I'll give you the principle. When God showed me this principle, it set me free. Jesus required the man to surrender Only that which came between him and discipleship. At the end of the day, what Jesus was looking for was come and follow me. But in order for the man to come and follow Jesus, he had to remove whatever stood in the way, whatever hindered his decision. To come and follow Jesus, whatever stands between you and following Jesus, wherever he goes, is the thing that God will put his finger on your life and say, you've got to surrender this. You've got to surrender every hindrance to your discipleship. Remember, being a disciple is one who has made a decision. I will follow Jesus wherever he goes. Whatever stops me from following Jesus wherever he goes is the subject of my surrender. For Peter and John and Andrew and James, all they had to surrender was a fishing boat. They just had to leave the boat and leave the nets. For uh, who was the dude that was a tax collector? All he had to do was leave the tax table. He had to leave. He didn't have to give up his house. He just had to stop collecting taxes. Like for different ones, it was different things. It was very simple. Paul just had to stop killing Christians. Just like everybody doesn't get the same revelation of Jesus, everybody doesn't get the same demand of Jesus. And God does not call us to live in fear that if I enjoy anything, God's going to take it away. That's a spirit of fear. That if I enjoy anything, that what God wants from me is for me not to have any joy in life except him. No, no good father thinks that way about his children. When I see my daughter enjoying stuff, I have joy when I see her having joy. She, she, I saw her the other night outside. See, she has a slime table outside on the patio and she makes these slime videos, but she makes like 10 videos a day and doesn't put them up anywhere. She just makes them on her phone for herself. And she was making slime blindfolded like she was (laughs) like she was a slime master and she blindfolded herself and she was reaching around and she had a bowl in front of her and she was mixing it and she's like, and she made the slime blindfolded. I was like, dang, you're like a slime ninja. (laughs) a slime assassin. But when I see her enjoying that slime, I don't think I'm going to take that from her. (laughs) I think she loves that slime more than me. That slime is an idol. However, if I tell her to do her homework and the slime is distracting her from doing her homework, I'm going to take the slime away for a season. Why? Because it's a hindrance that prevents her from following me in this moment. I do not believe Jesus was calling this man to live a life of abject poverty for the rest of his life. It was a moment in which God was calling him to lay down his life. One thing you still lack. You lack surrender. And when we lack surrender, it's because deep in our hearts, we don't actually believe that Jesus is good, which is the highest level, the superlative of value. We still look at the things of this world and we think, that's good. This man actually, at the end of the day, didn't believe Jesus was good. At the end of the day, he looked at all of his riches and believed that they were good and the scripture says the man walked away very sorrowful because he had great possessions the man walked away very sorrowful because he had great possessions All God wants is to be the highest value of our life. He wants us to recognize that following Jesus, do you you realize that Jesus was actually answering the man's question? He asked a question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the answer Jesus gave was, follow me. That's it. What must I do to inherit eternal life? You skip to the end. Jesus says, just follow me. All you got to do is follow me. However, right in the middle is this thing that hinders you from following Jesus. I want to ask you, what is the thing in your life that hinders you from following Jesus? What is the thing in your life that feels like it's of such value? That even though we don't have to walk in fear that God's going to take anything away from us, we must also walk in faith that if God does take something away from me that I hold value, He must have something of greater value for me on the other side. If I ever do take anything from my daughter, it's because I'm trying to give her something better. It's because there's something better that she cannot see, but I see it because I'm her father. When Jesus takes away the hindrance to our surrender. He's doing us a great favor. He's taking away from us something of a lower value so that he can replace it with something of greater value. One thing you still lack. You lack surrender. And today, God has graciously come to give us the gift of surrender. We used to sing this song when I was growing up, all to Jesus I surrender, all to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily live. I surrender all, I surrender all, all to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. And I remember a friend of mine singing it, he said, actually, if we were honest when we sang this song at church, it would go more like, I surrender most, I surrender some, some to thee with some conditions. I surrender some. Recognizing who Jesus is, is the foundation of discipleship. Because if I don't start by recognizing who he is, I won't follow him to the full. There will always be something in my life that feels like it's of greater value than my relationship with Jesus Christ. The thing that really blows me away about this passage is that this was this man's first encounter with Jesus. He didn't give him three months to just kind of tag along. He didn't give him any time to wrestle with it. He called him to an immediate place of surrender. And maybe there's some of you in this room right now that you know that the Holy Spirit is tugging on your heart. You know that there's an area of surrender in your heart and in your life that God is calling to you to. But you're thinking, maybe down the road, maybe two months from now, maybe three months from now, maybe I just need some time. But I sense the Spirit of God is calling you to a place of surrender today. And I urge you today, don't wait. Don't wait. Surrender to Jesus today. Amen. Let's pray. Bow your heads. Precious Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're here. I thank you that you're speaking to us mightily by the power of your word. And I invite you right now to minister to every heart, to every life, to every mind, to every soul. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would remove blinders from eyes. The scripture says the prince of this world has blinded the eyes of unbelievers so that we can't see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But, Father, today I pray that you would remove the blinders from eyes and cause us to see. Lord, you're after our value system today. There are things that we think are worthy that are not worthy. There are things that we think are good that are not good. There are things that we think are of value that hold no value. And there's some stuff that we think is good, and it it, it is good. Nothing wrong with it. But there's something of greater value. There's a higher value, and that value is discipleship. Lord, there's nothing that is of a greater value than following Jesus. And I pray today by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would release in every heart and in every soul the resolve to follow Jesus. I will follow you. I'm not going to be afraid of what you might take from me because you're good. I'm not going to be afraid of what it might cost me because you're good. Because following you, I can never lose. Because you're my shepherd, I shall not want. You make me to lie down in green pastures, you lead me beside still waters. You restore my soul. You lead me in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Because you're with me. And all I need to know is that you're with me. All I need to know is that I'm with you. All I need to know is that I'm following you. All I need to know is that the direction I walk is is the direction you're walking. There's no fear when I'm with you. Lord, there are seasons in my life in which you'll lead me to turn and walk away from great riches. But I'll do so with joy because I know that what you're leading me toward is of even greater value than what you're leading me from. But Father, I pray that you would pry our fingers loose from the things of this world that we cling to. Pry our fingers loose from the things of this world that we think hold value. And like Paul, that we would count it all rubbish for the excellency of knowing Christ and being found in him, not having a righteousness that is our own. Holy Spirit, rest on every heart, rest on every soul. Work surrender and through surrender, let surrender be the remedy of pain because So often when I lay something down, when I give something up, I feel the pain, I feel the loss, and I feel the pain. But surrender is the remedy for the pain of loss. That had that man walked away from his great riches, he would have felt the pain, yes. He would have felt the pain every time he sold something of value. And every time he gave something to the poor, he would have felt the pain. But surrender is the remedy for the pain of loss. And oftentimes. The pain of loss that I continue to feel simply indicates that I haven't fully surrendered to you. And so, Father, help me to surrender in those areas in which I still feel like I've lost. Because to the one who has surrendered, there is no loss, only gain. Settling on every heart on every soul, grant clarity where there's confusion. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I want to do something really quickly. Just just for a moment. Just bow our heads for just one more moment. Just one more moment. I I just think there might be a a, a few people in this room right now. You say, I'm really struggling with this word. I'm really struggling in that place of surrender. I think for for a few of you, there's a, a place that Jesus has put, the Holy Spirit has put his finger on your heart and says, this is the place of surrender that I'm calling you to. This is the thing I'm calling you to surrender. This is the thing I'm calling you to let go of. This is the thing that you think has value, but it has no value. You say, I just need somebody to pray for me today. I just need somebody to pray for me today. I just want you to identify yourself between you and the Lord right now. Just in your heart, say, Lord, that's me. I know that's me. I acknowledge that's me. And then secondly, I'm going to ask you to identify yourself to me. Nobody's looking around. Just, just lift up your hand just so I can see it. If that's okay. Say, that's me. That's me. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Yeah, I see a bunch of hands. I see another hand. Holy Spirit, I pray for all of these that have lifted their hands all over this auditorium, and even in Emeryville right now. And wherever this word goes forth, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would set free right now. That you would bring release right now. That you would bring peace right now. That you would bring resolve right now. And I pray that surrender would bring joy and expectation. He will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. Mm -hmm. Yes, Lord. Mm -hmm. I just feel the Holy Spirit's not done working. Sweet surrender. Surrender is so sweet. It brings with it rest. It brings with it peace. And repentance and rest is your salvation, and quietness and trust is your strength. That's what the scripture says. And repentance and rest is your salvation, and quietness and trust is your strength. Complete and total freedom right now. In Jesus' name. I give you all praise, glory, and honor for it in the name of your son, Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit, Father. Amen. Amen. Why don't you give God a clap of praise right now? We're going to end the service now, but if any of you need prayer for anything, especially what we talked about today, we're going to invite you to come to the altar. Some of our leaders are going to be here to pray for you as well. Other than that, God bless. Have a great week.